Let us pray. Eternal God, you come to us in surprising ways. Bring us from fear to awe as you speak to us now through word and spirit, that by hearing we too may receive faith and be strengthened to do your will. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our gospel reading today is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Hear the good news of the gospel. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son. And he named him Jesus, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everything about this story cries scandal. Yes, everything. Despite the fact that the warm, fuzzy feelings of Christmas are only days away, it should, if not outright shock us, at least startle us, shake us up, and grab us by the shoulders and say, can you believe what is happening here? For scandal pervades the entirety of Matthew's story. And it's hard to grasp in our world where it seems, A, very little is scandalous anymore, or B, we have become numb to scandal. That's the one that personally resonates. For these days, there is a certain comfort in that state of numbness. It's a survival strategy when we're overwhelmed by the daily onslaught of crises. It's a way to protect ourselves from the angst of perpetual injustice. In this topsy-turvy week that included an impeachment vote and the daily drumbeat of one-upmanship over who occupies the moral high ground, you may find yourself, as I do, quite simply numb. Numb to the scandals of today, numb to the scandal of Joseph and Mary's predicament, 
numb to the scandal of gospel. Today we hear Joseph's side of the story. And if you live in his hometown and think of the most righteous, morally upright person that you know, the name Joseph immediately comes to mind. For he knows the laws of his people and of their God, and he follows them. Joseph seems like the strong, silent type, for he doesn't speak anywhere at all in the New Testament. And he also strikes me as a no-drama kind of guy. Keep your head down, don't say too much, and just do the right thing. Well, he and Mary are betrothed, as you hear in the story, not simply engaged as in our present-day custom with a promise and a ring, but are already in a legally binding contractual relationship. It's not one that you can just walk away from. Now, Joseph and Mary, this couple, you can hear the townspeople say, oh, what a lovely couple. They're just right for each other. You can see Joseph smile to himself and think, yep, I'm a lucky guy, until it becomes evident that Mary is expecting a baby and he knows it's not his. Now, we can only imagine what kind of inner turmoil that situation causes him. For in the mores of Joseph's time and place, unfaithfulness during that period of betrothal is the equivalent of adultery. And imagine the pain and sorrow of such a betrayal and the serious consequences that it brings. Now, as one who dutifully follows the laws of his religious tradition, it's Joseph's duty to divorce her, for he must protect his own honor. But because he cares not only about the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law, he is unwilling to publicly shame Mary. So he plans to send her away quietly. This is how a good and righteous person like Joseph deals with such a scandal. But then an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream to set a different course of action, and instead of giving Joseph an escape from this scandal, the angel draws him more deeply into it. For instead of sending Mary away, he is to go through with the marriage. He will put his own reputation at risk, I imagine people in those days would do the math. Let's see, how many months? Joseph is to embrace her and her child, to adopt the child as his own and graft him into the family tree from which a Messiah was expected, the family tree of David. Now, as scandalous scandalous as it is that Mary has an unplanned pregnancy and that Joseph will put himself in the middle of it, the real scandal is that Mary's child is from the Holy Spirit. The real scandal is that through this particular baby, in some mysterious way that is way above my pay grade, Mary's boy child, God's very self, will intrude into the world, crying and hungry and helpless to become one of us. 
Theologians call this the scandal of particularity. That God has jumped in headfirst and took on the limitations of humanity just to be with us. To be human is to be particular. To be born in a particular time, in a particular place, in a particular culture, with a particular ethnic makeup, a particular DNA sequence, a particular gender identity, with particular features, abilities, and constraints. This child would have the particular identity of a first century Palestinian Jewish male and all that goes with it, which is neither a hierarchical claim of male or Middle Eastern or any other superiority, nor does it make him some amorphous, generic, every person. What it does is makes Jesus a with us God in all of the particularity of who we are and where we find ourselves in life. And there's scandal in that. For it means God knows us fully, inside and out. The parts we like about ourselves, the parts we think too much of, the parts we're not sure about, and even the parts that we dislike about ourselves, perhaps even to the point of self-hatred. God knows us fully and intimately, the parts that we show to the whole wide world, the parts we hide from that world, and the parts that we hide even from ourselves the ones that we don't want to face. Emmanuel, God with us, knows the pain of our world. This is the time of year that pain feels more acute, for reality clashes with the carefully produced images of perfection around the holidays. The images of idyllic families clash with the realities of family dysfunction. The images of cheers and toasts clash with the reality that this is the first Christmas that there is an empty chair at the family holiday table. The image of the perfect gift, the one you've always wanted, perfectly wrapped under a perfectly decorated tree, clashes with the reality that your parents can't afford it this year. The image of perfect health clashes with the reality of the chronic illness that you live with or the diagnosis you just received. Emmanuel, God with us, knows the pain of the whole world, the pain that we have become numb to in a culture that prizes individualism and meritocracy over community and equity. In times of pain and of anxiety about the future, the temptation to turn inward looms large. For ourselves and for the church, the temptation to circle the wagons and solely take care of our own puts the community around us at risk. 
writes Caroline Lewis, God with us corrects God is for me. God with us corrects God is for us. God with us helps us remember that when we do turn away from others, we turn away from those who need us and those whom we need. Put another way, even as God is with us, God is not content to leave us where we are. And here is quite possibly the biggest scandal of all, that a with us God also has the power to save us. It's all there in the name that Joseph is to give this child. It's all there in the name Jesus. It's all there in that name Jesus that is common enough it would have ranked at the top of popular baby name lists. But more than a popular name, it means something. It speaks to the essence of who Jesus is. It means God saves, God helps. And that name Jesus also evokes the Old Testament name of Yeshua or Joshua, the one who brought the people of Israel into the promised land after Moses died. From ancient times, God's people were expecting a political Messiah, another successor to Moses, to save them from the rule of their foreign occupiers. And we too look for someone, something, anyone, anything to save us from the anxieties of today's political age, from the injustices of the world and from the pain in our own lives. But the scandal in Matthew's story is that in Jesus, God would save God's people from their sins. To quote David Schneesa Jacobson, this vision is not confined to our individual souls, but is related to the people living in an age where sin is not just a painful heritage, but a shared living burden in a world gone awry. Now here's something really interesting. As I have said before, and undoubtedly will say again, one of the really cool things about scripture is that it is having a conversation with itself all over the place. We see it when Matthew quotes that passage from Isaiah, that a young woman shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which by now I hope we all know means, and you can say it with me, God is with us. Now check this out. In the Old Testament story of Joshua, whose name, like Jesus, means God saves, guess what it is that God tells him again and again? God tells him, I will be with you. And guess what Jesus says in the very last words at the end of Matthew's gospel? Remember. I am with you always to the end of the age. It is no accident that Matthew puts the two names of Emmanuel and Jesus together to tell us that not only is God present with us, God's purpose in everything God does is to save us. To save us from the tyranny of the world around us, to save us even from ourselves, 
and especially to save us from our own numbness to the scandal of this gospel itself. Amen.